1: Hello and welcome to the Political Party Daily as we enter week three of this special election series. And today I was joined by Shadow Foreign Secretary Emily Thornberry. It was an absolutely brilliant interview. She's got some fantastic stories about campaigning. Keep your stories coming in about them. Political Party Podcast at gmail.com. I began by asking Emily why she just couldn't and why the Labour Party can't just tell us that they will prepare to press the nuclear button and turn us all into ash.
0: So the way that it's always been done until recently is that politicians have not been prepared to say one way or the other whether they would press the button in what circumstances or anything else. And so all of this yes I'd press the button is meaningless nonsense in my view. I also you just don't know. You know if you were given the choice let's say whereby half the country has been blown up um, and we are about to, and, and, and Britain is completely uninhabitable for who knows how many thousands and thousands of years. Would we be prepared to press a, would a leader be prepared to press a button whereby another five million people would die and the planet would be annihilated? Who knows who would do it in those circumstances? But I just think giving a glib answer that I would press the button really is meaningless.
1: Would you be tempted, uh, uh, you know, do you ever watch the news and think, oh God, I'd love to, I'd love to set a
0: nuclear bomb off on that guy? <laughs> No, because because it's never just one person. It is millions of. Uh, sorry to be kind of like serious about this, but it's not. Uh, it's, I think it's important to be serious. Yeah, something. I mean, it's not a. Uh, you know, it, this is not um This is not a computer game. You know, there will be millions of innocent civilians, um, children killed. Their land will be annihilated for thousands of years. So, you know. <laughs> The, uh, it's a very serious question.
1: <laughs> it is. But if they're prepared to annihilate us, oh, come no. on. Yeah,
0: well, I Maybe mean, I just not. don't think we can kind of engage in that basis. I'm really sorry. I'm sorry to be so boring about it. But I do think it's a very serious matter and, and needs to have thoughtful, serious leadership.
1: And hopefully it's not an issue that we ever have to deal with. That would be nice. Well, that would be good, would it? To not be put into that. Apparently, I mean, it's one of those things, and I'm sure you've heard it, that the letter the Prime Minister writes to the Chiefs of the Defence Staff, the the sort of, the... Um, I don't know what you'd call it, not educated guess, but the word on the street is that actually every Prime Minister has said don't launch, don't launch an attack in retaliation. I don't know if that's true or not.
0: I don't know either. Um, I don't know either. And as I say, you know, from... All of the leaders, you know, throughout throughout the 20th century, all said we're not prepared to say one way or the other, and I think that's the right approach. And I wish that our current crop of leaders were showed that sort of maturity
1: on all sides, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the Labour manifesto is out um uh, i've been reading it particularly the, the the bit that pertains to your brief uh, some interesting stuff in there one of the one of the policies is that uh, a, a labour government would conduct an audit of the impact of britain 's colonial legacy to understand our contribution to the dynamics of violence and insecurity across the regions previously under British colonial rule. Quite an interesting idea
0: yes yes, I think it is I think when i 've traveled to countries that were used to be part of our empire and now part of the Commonwealth. It is really interesting, the relationship that we currently have with those countries. We have, I think, much more impact on those countries. We're taken that much more seriously. We're seen as being a big player in a way that perhaps we in Britain don't realise. So I think the impact of what we say and what we do is even greater than we realise.
1: Is there not a danger, though, with with a report like that? You know, the report comes back and says, actually, it turns out everything's our fault. Well... Yeah, I mean... Not good for morale.
0: Well, it's a long time ago, but as I say, although it was a long time ago, I think that there is a continuing strong relationship and the impact of Britain on those countries is something that... People in those countries live with on a day-to-day basis. I mean, there are obvious positives, you know. So a lot of those countries have a form of parliamentary democracy. They have the common law. They have the way in which they do the courts. They have separation of, of, uh, of, of state, uh, of of the legislature and the Cricket. judiciary. They have- Frickid. Um You know, they have the World Service. Uh, but there's a, and speak English, you know, but also just have an interest. And, you know, that I think is really, you know, as I say, as part of our foreign policy, I think it's important to, to recognise and to truly understand the ongoing relationship we have with the Commonwealth. And would that, would that
1: review lead to anything? Would it, would it have any outcomes? Would it, would it make recommendations for things we could do to uh, perhaps negate some of the things that might be our fault?
0: Well, that's the purpose of having the re- review, mate. Let's, uh, let's,
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, let's see. <laughs> but what sort of thing might it be? I mean, what could we do, do you think?
0: I don't know. I mean, let's let's have a look at the review. Let's see what it uh, comes up with. And we'll take it from there. Um, I think, uh, I mean, there are obviously things like many countries will say their rules on, their laws on, on uh, making homosexuality illegal comes from Britain you know, and and Theresa May has recently apologised for that and said that we shouldn't have imposed such laws on those countries and perhaps warped their cultures in the way that they had. I mean, that's just an example of, uh, of some of the kind of ongoing problems. It's a, it's a slightly unusual one. It wouldn't be one of the ones that people would think of first. but. Yeah.
1: And what about, might it involve some sort of financial settlement, like some form
0: of compensation? I, you're asking me too much because I need to see the review first. Let's set, up the, let's set up the review and see where it takes us.
1: And do you think this is one of those things, that whether Labour win or not? Because it's a really interesting idea. And when you think of some of the global forces, um, you can see how so many of these come from historic action, but, uh, and not just British, of course. Um, do you think this is something that might have traction in other political parties?
0: Well, I think it should have traction in Britain. I think that we need to have a, a more a deeper understanding of for example, why is Zambia the shape that it is? You know, why does one particular why is one particular tribe or tribal grouping cut in half? It's just because somebody on a map thought, Oh well let's have this line here and without necessarily any particular thought as to what the long term impact of that would be. I think it's important that we understand the impact that we've had the impact that we've had on the Gulf. Um, and who is in charge of the Gulf and why they are and what our role has been in that, I think that helps us to understand our ongoing relationship with those countries.
1: One of the other uh, policies in the manifesto is to reform the international rules-based order to secure justice and accountability for breaches of human rights and international law. Um, How do you reform the international rules-based order as as, as an individual country?
0: Well, I think the first thing you have to do is we have to have a little bit more confidence in the rules-based order. Because I think at the moment we have these big men, you know, so whether it's whether it's, you know, in Turkey or Egypt or, you know, or the Philippines or or, and of course the big daddy of them all being being Donald Trump and Russia and Russia and who just think that they can just do what they like and that the international rules based order doesn't matter. And I think the rest of the world is intimidated by that. And what we need to do is we need to have we need to we need to stick together those that believe in this and amplify one another's voices and get strength from working together. So the example I always give is recently when when Saudi Arabia decided that women should have the right to to drive. And of course, the women were terribly grateful and and um, and. Canada simply said, well, that's great. You know, well done, Crown bin, Prince bin Salman, for giving women the right to drive. But why is it that you've rounded up and put into jail all the women who've been campaigning to write for the right mm-hmm. to drive? And all, there was all kinds of flack that the Canadians got and the Saudis got very upset about it and nobody stood with them. No, there wasn't a squeak from any other country. I just sort of think that would have been a good opportunity for for those countries who do believe in, in you know, have certain values in common to stick together and say, well, actually, that's right. Come on. You know, it is right. Um, and, and if we had stuck together, we would have had a stronger voice. It's just an example. And then the next time we want a country to stand with us, we, we're more likely to get another country to stand with us. We seem to have lost all of this. And And when America is no longer taking a leadership role, in the way that it has done historically. I'm not saying that Britain steps up to replace it, but what I'm saying is that there needs to be a coalition of like-minded countries that do work together and do say that this is wrong, you know, we should not be doing this. And, 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 and we get strength in numbers.
1: In terms of having a coalition of like-minded countries, it does feel that Jeremy Corbyn's view of who that coalition should be and perhaps other historic Labour leaders' views of who those would be in that coalition might be slightly different that we would have traditionally looked to America and Europe and Jeremy Corbyn might look elsewhere. Is that something that should concern the public?
0: Well... I think at the moment, with the current leadership in America, I think that it's absolutely right for us to be clear that we don't agree with Donald Trump and what Donald Trump stands for. I don't think that means that we don't agree with America, because I don't think that, that actually Donald Trump reflects the values of our friends in America. And I certainly hope that he's not going to be the president for much longer, and that we will return to having a country that whose leader we have, we have, we have. You know, we have a great deal in common with, and frankly, I think if the Democrats do win the next presidential election, they will remember that they have friends in the Labour Party who stood up and spoke strongly about Trump and what Trump was doing. So I do think that that um, at the moment there's a blip, <laughs> um, and hopefully that blip won't last much longer, and that we will be able to to be able to work again with with the United States, um, so and 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 obviously with Europe, obviously with Europe you know obviously we have common interests with europe i think our um our common foreign policy in relation to israel and palestine is very important our common foreign policy when it comes to um the heating up of the planet is very important um the way in which we approach the Iranian nuclear deal which the Americans are trying to put a coach and horses through and the Amer- and the the Europeans and Britain are standing firm against that and saying you must not be putting sanctions on Iran so long as they don't build a nuclear bomb you know we should be opening up trade with them and we should be trying to bring them in from the cold we have all of that in common and and you know, and the Labour Party is absolutely in favour of that.
1: So you're not, you're not neutral on Europe. I'm not neutral on you. You know, I'm not neutral. On Europe. <laughs> I was teasing you about being neutral. Uh, are people saying to you, how can, how can you have a leader who's neutral on Brexit?
0: Well, no. Actually, what they say is what's Labour's policy on Brexit. So I say our policy is that we will negotiate a deal within three months. The Europeans know what our deal will look like. We will at the same time begin legislation to have another referendum. And we will put a real deal, warts and all, you know, no no false promises, no unicorns. This is what it looks like to leave versus remain. And then we're going to leave it to you. And you can decide whether we remain or whether we leave on those terms. And after three and a half years, four years of getting stuck, we're going back to the British people for their common sense and asking them what they think. It's the biggest decision we've had to make for 50 years. Doesn't seem unreasonable to me.
1: No, but it. Um, I thought Labour's policy was that they're going to have a special conference to decide whether to support the deal or not. So,
0: but... No, but, the, but what's important for the public is that we will have a deal within three months and then we're going to put it back to them. Yeah. Now, what Labour does internally is of some interest to some people, but to be honest, Outside the Westminster bubble, not a lot. But let me tell you what Labour's policy is. So Labour's policy internally is that we will have a special conference and we will decide whether we, you know, our official position is to campaign for Remain or campaign for Leave. Um, and you know the party will go with that.
1: And given um that the leaders now said that he's going to be neutral, Mm. which felt like a policy announcement in itself at the Question Time uh, leaders debate. Does that mean that the Labour Party membership will have the option of choosing neutral as well as choosing whether to support the deal or not?
0: <laughs> have you met any Labour Party members?
1: <laughs> yes, I have. Yeah, yeah I'm talking hey, to one now. Yeah, exactly.
0: You know, they're not exactly neutral or anything. What are you saying? I mean, of course they're going to, of course they're going to express a view. And I have to say, my experience of meeting Labour Party members up and down the country is, I think, it is more than likely. Perhaps that's understating it. That uh, they will decide that we're going to campaign to remain. But
1: let's see. But if the option's open to the leader to be neutral, would it not be fair to allow the membership
0: to choose? Uh, Well, as I say, I I honestly have yet to meet a Labour Party member (laughs) who's neutral on this subject. That's true, but I've met a lot
1: of Labour Party members who place their loyalty to Jeremy perhaps over their views on the European Union, and maybe they would like to be loyal to him in a referendum scenario.
0: Well... What is loyal to Jeremy is to ensure that he gets elected as Prime Minister, to make sure that we're able to have a negotiation with the European Union and then put it to another referendum. The Labour Party will decide its internal uh, decision um, at this conference and uh, people can express a view and we can move on from that.
1: Were you surprised when he said he was going to be neutral in the referendum?
0: No. No. No, no, he's been saying it behind the scenes for quite some time. Um, And he's, you know, I mean, he heard from he's heard from me for some time that uh, I'm not going to be neutral and that (laughs) I'm going to campaign to remain. Um, And, you know, we've had many conversations about it. And I think his view is that whatever decision the public make, the prime minister needs to be in a position to be able to implement it. Um, And he feels that the best way of doing that is to be neutral throughout the campaign but it does it seems an odd suggestion to the public
1: doesn't it elect me to decide on the biggest issue facing the country the country's biggest priority but as a leader I'm not going to lead at all
0: no no No, no, it's not elect me to make the decision. That's the whole point. Elect me in order to ensure the best decision is made. And the best way for us to make a decision at this time is to ask the public. But leaders are elected to take decisions. Yeah, but he's he's only got one vote and we're going to ask the public and it's going to be up to... So your vote, my vote, everybody else's vote will be as important as Jeremy Corbyn's. Oh,
1: but so that's good. Will he vote? Presumably. So he will vote a particular way?
0: hmm So he he won't be neutral in his heart. Yeah, but the important thing is, is that he remains neutral publicly. That's what he believes. So that he doesn't, so that it's up to the public to decide one way or the other. You know, remember David Cameron standing on the steps of number 10 Downing Street and saying, my people, (laughs) I have negotiated a wonder. You know, believe me and do as you're told and vote to remain. And they said, naff off. That's what happened. You know, naff off, naff off for everything that you're doing, and you're, the way you're ignoring us, and the, you know, the fact that we don't like you, and you know, and that you're trying to condescend our, you know, to us, and you're patronising us. We're not having it. We're telling you to naff off. <laughs> because you're not listening to us, you know. So we will have a completely different approach. We are absolutely going to listen to the British public, and we're going to ask them, and they can decide. And you know, if they decide that we want to leave, then at least we'll be leaving in in terms that will do least amount of damage, in my view, to jobs in the economy. But it'd just be a bit odd to have a prime minister not telling us which way he's voting. Well, I don't know. I suppose. I mean, the only the only kind of parallel I can think of is, you know, sometimes when we've had leadership elections and the current leader is standing down and they don't play a part in the election, they don't express a view and they're neutral. I, I mean, it does happen. And, and there are certain circumstances when maybe it's the best thing to do.
1: In terms of this campaign, then, uh, I think it's so hard to know what's really happening yeah. out in the country. You know, you consume so much of it through the media or through... Anecdotal stuff with friends, you'll be knocking yeah. on thousands of doors yeah. in every constituency or in a lot of the constituencies. I'm in going, going to every
0: region and every nation in the UK apart from Northern Ireland throughout this campaign. So, yes, I am going everywhere. Yeah.
1: And what's your impression so far? And there's obviously a way to go. What's your impression so far of how it's going for Labour?
0: Well, I was. It's very difficult to get an overview because. I just turn up and I will do a particular part of a constituency and I'll do just a few streets and it depends who it is that I speak to, you know, so it's quite, it's quite difficult to kind of get a proper overview. Mm -hmm. What you can get is you can pick up on the morale of the membership, which is amazing. I mean, it's as if they have been chomping at the bit since 2017 for another election and now they're off and there are huge numbers of people pitching up at things, Um, it's Sometimes just far too many for us to even be able to manage. <laughs> that was never a you problem when I
1: worked the lady. I know,
0: I know, but you can like you can advertise a session, be expecting twenty, and two hundred will turn up. What wow. do you What do you do with them? So you have to make sure that you're always, or you've always got too much work to do, so that you can get a proper two hour stint out of people. It's, uh, and have enough what we call board runners. So, what we do is we have a board. You have, you ought to have the optimal number of six or seven people around the board. They're given a name and a door number. They go and speak to the people. They come back and give in the data. You need to have quite an experienced board runner who knows the area, who can do all of this. So stressful. It's I can't do it. I'm actually just incapable of doing that. I've tried it and I just I just mess up big time. So I don't do it. I don't even go anywhere near the board. You need to have certain talents. that I just were never born with. So but you have to have enough board runners who are experienced. Otherwise, what you don't want is you've asked people to give of their time for free. And because of their enthusiasm. And you must not take them for granted. And you mustn't waste their time. Yeah. And you've got to thank them. And you've got to make sure that the two hours that they spend are two hours well spent. And they feel as though they've made a difference. Yes. Which means you need to be organised. And you need to have enough board runners for 200 people if they turn up. My word.
1: For people who don't know what this is, who haven't been activists for any political party, when you when you go to a, a street, there'll be someone with a version of the electoral register. Yeah, but, yeah. but through the Labour Party technology with the questions that you're going to ask. They tell... Each activist, what door number to go to? They go and knock on that door. They then ask the questions that you have been told to ask them. They come back and then they give you the answers. And I've run the board before for for Labour, and people just come back and go Lib Dem, and you go right, what door number they go? I can't remember. It's that one over there. You're like, what door number was it? Otherwise, I'm just writing. And
0: and which person? Yes, so you got five people in that house. Which one did you speak to? Exactly. It's yeah, no.
1: I don't, it's, it's so stressful, it's and then it's raining, hard. and there's a gust of wind, and you're like, oh, oh no, hang oh, on. Oh. This says it's the, the but, old numbers are over there.
0: No, but I, but I, when <gasps> I went, well, I, no, no, when I went down to Wales, I was in Wales, and it was like Noah's flood. Right? I mean, it was raining. I, mean, I know it always rains in Wales, but it was raining so hard. It was ridiculous. I've been told it was going to be snowing. So I was wearing like my fake fur coat. And I just looked like this complete drowned rat for the whole two days when I was there. Because every time I went out, it was just raining and raining. Anyway, but they've got a little, they've got this thing where they have a little plastic tent that goes over the board. Oh, wow. That they've made themselves. No, you know, you can buy it. And they've, and they, and they, and they put their hands in and they write in the board. I know it's a revelation. I mean, the amount of times I've gone out, I've done campaigning during this election, we've written down the data, and then we go back and the paper's like papier-mâché and the ink has gone through and you can't work out what information is from where. But in Wales, it's sussed. They have little plastic tents brilliant that's brilliant. such a good idea and i've been in other places where they have little desk lights which they have on the board so that you can see we are resourceful in the labor party <laughs> i mean they may have called a winter election in the rain and the snow and the dark we're getting round anyway <laughs> uh,
1: and uh, has the labor party script changed in the last God, sorry, i think the last the last <laughs> 10 or so
0: years well we're very much more fluid about the script i think these days um i mean you know obviously in 96 um, we were given an absolute script and we weren't allowed to do anything else. And yeah. we had to ask certain questions and that was that. I was actually, I was put into the D group, which was a secret weapon in the 97 elections. Um, and I was, a, it was a group of largely lawyers and we were ringing up people who didn't know in marginal seats. And we basically were unscripted. We were the only ones who were allowed to be unscripted. Oh, so like were a crack unit. Yeah, so we were basically the let's have a row unit. Brilliant! Yeah, it was great. It does, was great. And does that unit exist this time? I don't, I don't... Well, this time, we're much less scripted, so people can just... You know, the idea is that we engage in politics. We don't just say, what's your... What was the phrase? We had this weird phrase. What we? party did you most identify? With? That's right, What party did you most identify with? I mean, people will go, "What's that mean?" <laughs> yeah, I but <know, laughs> I mean, yeah. what? what? I'm know. not sure what use that question was either know. in terms of data. I don't know. So, which was... party did you most identify with? Which party did you vote for last time? Yes. Um there was an election tomorrow, if there was an election, voting? party, which one would you vote for? And would you rather have a Conservative or a Labour government? Ah, yes, yeah? that's right. Yeah. So they were, they were, and you weren't allowed. And to... Are you
1: likely to vote? I think was the fifth yeah. Are you likely to vote?
0: So, and we had to have, and we were only allowed to ask those questions, and there this real discipline that that's what we have to do. These days, we want to find out if they're Labour, if they voted Labour last time, if they're likely to vote. Um, but then we also have this, people are allowed to engage. Just imagine. What?
1: I know. No. I know. That's never going to catch us. That's the, a very really bad idea. And,
0: and and what I always say to volunteers is, look, you're a volunteer. Say you're a volunteer. If someone asks you a difficult technical question, say you don't know. Yes. I mean, I have to answer all the questions. <laughs> so you can call on me and I will try and answer any question. But you can say... I don't know, but I'll tell you why I'm on your doorstep. This is why I believe in the Labour Party. This is why I believe we should we should have a Labour government. You know, this is what has motivated me to come out in the rain, in the dark, with my little plastic tent. You know, to uh, to speak to you. And that's how you do it. Yes, and that's a, how yes, you do it.
1: Absolutely. Just don't knock on Dermot Murnaghan's door.
0: <laughs> well, you know, there are certainly some people whose doors you knock on who are very interested, very engaged. And it's quite difficult to get round at all, you know, because once you open the door to talking about politics, there are some people who just go, no, I haven't got any questions. No, I'm standing here in my dressing gown. I wasn't <laughs> expecting you. Kind of, could you go away now? Which is fair enough. But then there are other people going, Emily Thornbury, let me ask you a question. You know, and then I'm there and I have to get dragged away because I'm perfectly happy talking politics. But, you know, I've also got to get round the round. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
1: You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. So, in terms of campaigning, then I mean, so many people, after a, a distinguished career in politics, will have, and during a distinguished career <laughs> in politics, will have various war stories. I mean, obviously, uh, Rochester was an experience for you. I mean, have you had any other uh, re- memorable experiences in campaigns?
0: I think last week I I was um, doing telephone canvassing, and I rang up to speak to this woman. And, and she said, oh, no, you don't want to talk to me. You want to talk to my husband. I was, like, bristling a bit, you know, thinking, well. I said, no, Elizabeth, I want to speak to you. She said, no, no, you want to speak to my husband. He's a TV star. I thought, what? what? Anyway, he comes on and he goes, yeah, yeah, I'm working to a man. I said what sorry <laughs> you know and he said yeah no he said, I was I was I was uh, I was I was I was I was being interviewed by the television and they said where'd you come from and he I said I said I came from Workington they said oh really and what age are you he said yeah no I'm over 70 which is supposed to be Workington man mm-hmm. um and then they said uh, which way did you vote in the referendum oh I voted to leave and uh, what do you think of Boris Johnson oh I like Boris Johnson and what do you think of uh, Jeremy Corbyn oh I don't like him so which way are you voting I'm voting Labour, he says. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> anyway, so I talked to him. So that was kind of quite fun, you know, like a little... Um, so a certain amount of... Uh, but I I continue to have problems with naked people on the doorstep. Really? is always a problem. I mean, there's less of them because it's because it's cold, you know, so I, we're not <laughs> getting as many as we were before, but... I'm uh, literally
1: less of them in the cold.
0: Yeah, no, so, you know, so I... Well, I never looked down. So, so... <laughs> I mean, one guy came to the door. Fully
1: naked? Uh, yeah. Oh, my so, uh, so, God. So this, no. so
0: this guy comes to the door last week, and, uh, and he opens the door, and, oh, uh, and I say, oh, hello. i think, he oh, God, don't look down, don't look down. <laughs> hey, you're waiting for labour. And then he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said, I can't stop. He says, I'm cooking. <laughs> <laughs> cooking naked? He's a, the naked chef. <laughs> <laughs> what
1: are you cooking? Sausage casserole. <laughs> Be careful.
0: Oh my word! Why? What is going on with that guy? I, well, what's going on with so many of them? No. Why do you come to the? Do- Why can't you at least put? A, I mean, put a coat on or something. And it's only men that are doing this. Some of the women are not wearing a great deal either. Yeah, I always oh. see quite a lot. And of course, the trouble is, you—it's a bit bit more difficult to kind of just keep your head up because you can, you know, there's more to see <laughs> higher up. If you see what I mean. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Islington's famous for its naked people. It's amazing.
1: And is, so is that is that just an issue, more of an issue in Islington, do you think, than the rest of the country?
0: Well, there are. I mean, you do come across, I have talked to other candidates and they say they come across naked people, but I don't think they do it as often. I mean, not as often. So when I, was, when I was first going on the doorsteps in Islington, right, the guy showing me round was sort of saying, you know, was taking me through. There's three things to remember, you know always make, don't put your fingers through the letterbox, you know, because there's not just the noisy dogs, there's the silent nasties, yes, the one who sit oh, just, so just under the thing, and they'll jump up and bite your fingers. So that, you know, always close the gate. And then he was going, and there's another Anyway, and as he was saying it, this, opened, and this naked person was there. And we had our conversation, closed the door, and he went, yeah, that's the third thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous uh, do you ever say to them oh you haven't got much on <laughs> no no because I kind of think if they're coming to the door naked they're coming to the door naked either because they haven't thought about the fact they're naked How which is you, you know yeah. I don't know I mean we're very liberal people in <laughs> or they're coming in order to kind of try and surprise you so the best thing to do is not react at all you know, yes, just, I just like, like, it's just like that's thing. it. There's, you know, we take people as we find them. You knock on their door. We haven't given them any notice. They come to the door naked. Just got to take as you find. I mean, obviously,
1: as a politician, you're trying to build bridges with people. Do you ever think, well, if they're naked, <laughs> maybe I should go campaign naked. Let's build some bridges here.
0: But my best story, can I just tell you my best story? Of course. So this is not from this year. This is from a long time ago. Um it's when I was pregnant. So it was 20 years ago. And I was it was during European election and I was and I was leafleting and I was I was so pregnant. I mean, I was pregnant in my fingers. I couldn't (laughs) I couldn't get any shoes on. I was like waddling around, you know. So I had to wear Birkenstock because it was the only thing I could get my feet into these like these boats that my feet had become. So I'm waddling about and this guy goes by on a bicycle and I'm like and then he comes back again. And then he says, uh, "What are you doing?" And so I explain. And he goes, "Oh, what's the European Union?" So I explain. I think it was a vote. You know, let's explain about Europe. So I'm explaining all of this and so on. And then he says, "Can I have a photo?" I thought it was a bit odd. I said, "Yeah, all right. You know, a vote's a vote." So um, so I said, "Yeah, okay." And uh, and sort of. And he said, "No, no, of your feet." What? Well, what do you say? I said yes. Of course, I said. I mean. You know, it's an election. So I said, yes, of course. <laughs> so he took a photograph of my pregnant feet, right? And then goes off... And before he goes off on his bicycle, he gives me a card and he says, it'll be on this website later. <sighs> yes, yes. So my husband... I go back, tell my husband he's furious with me, right? And then my feet are appearing on this website and it goes, Emily, canvassing for the European elections. She says about Europe, da, 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 da. Next to Sandy... Buying fruit in Camden Market <laughs> we were all wearing Birkenstock. that was his thing
1: and was but is this a, was it an art project, or do you think it was more fetish
0: <laughs> i i i i don't know I, all I know is that it went up, and that I didn't look at it again. I looked at it once <laughs> and thought. I'm just going to forget about this now. And you've been but happily 20, married ever since. But 20 years have gone by, so I feel I can now talk about it.
1: Yes. <laughs> and what's the website again, Sean? Yeah, exactly. Hopefully it's <laughs> definitely down there. I'm trying to find it, <laughs> put it out there. For this campaign then, how are you finding the tone of it? A lot of people worry about the
0: tone of our politics. What's it like there out on the street? I was really worried um, when the election was called and a lot of my friends were, and a lot, particularly my, my female friends, um... And they were scared because the response from the public was so aggressive and so angry, um, and I, I, we just, and it it really goes to the heart of us about Joe Cox being murdered, and being out on the streets again and being vulnerable. And you know, could you travel on public transport? Do you always have to have somebody with you? What's the security measures you make? And it so the whole thing was very nervy and horrible. And as people were going away, you know. There was a bit of emotion as people were going off into their constituencies. But what I have found is that in the last couple of weeks, people are saying, actually, it's got so much better. And I don't know if they're going to vote Labour or not, but at least they're prepared to engage. And we're not getting the same abuse that we were or that we weren't before. And it's made me think about why that is. And I have to say, I think it's because the prime minister, when he was in parliament was able to be in charge of the agenda and was really hyping up this hatred of politicians and hatred of politics and parliament and everything else. And we were getting those phrases being shouted back at us. But now that he's no longer in charge of the agenda because there's a general election, I think things have calmed down. And I just find that so profoundly shocking, the idea that we women politicians are safer when the prime minister is no longer in charge of the agenda. I mean, what does that say about Britain now? What does it say?
1: Well it's it's it says a lot about the effect of words mm. and what and how powerful they are because some people say oh, well it's just language don't worry about it. Mm. But words have consequences and words in politics are actions and it's it's worrying that certain sections of the public are so almost not programmable, but
0: are, are are basically can be inspired to be so nasty. Well, people are angry. Some people are angry and fed up and bored that Brexit is still going on, and they, as far as they're concerned, they voted for it a long time ago. And why hasn't it been delivered? And so, if they get the prime minister saying it's the fault of parliament, it's the fault of these politicians. We've got this is a zombie parliament. And 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 he said, didn't he? You know. When people were complaining about well, Paula was complaining about not feeling safe, and he essentially said, "If you want to be safe, get brexit done It's a
1: threat Do you think he appreciates the gravity of his words?
0: I think he doesn't care. I'm sorry, I just think he doesn't care
1: and i mean you've as you say, you shadowed him. What's your impression of him as a character then? Is it that it's carelessness? Is it that he's detached? Or does he? do you think he, he might realise that those things have consequences but he sees it as a price worth paying?
0: I think he's a narcissist. I think it's all about him. And I think he's not capable of empathy and understanding what his actions are whether in his private life or in his public life what his actions are in terms of what it is that he says. He just doesn't think sufficiently about other people. It's always about him.
1: Are there any positive things you could say about
0: him? He can be quite funny. <laughs> at the least there's that. I mean, I forgive people a lot if they're funny, but I think i draw the line at Boris Johnson. <laughs> um, I, know,
1: I know this is such a difficult question, and we're still, there's still a long way to go, and you can be as vague as you like or as specific as you like. We're asking every guest, and you can just say, hung parliament, Labour the largest party, Labour majority of 101, whatever you want. What would your prediction be for the outcome of this election?
0: I don't know. You see, it it's, it feels to me like this stage in 2017. You know, and we just didn't know. I mean, to be honest, we didn't know. And if anybody gives you an answer to that question, they really aren't telling you the truth. Nobody knows. Um, I can tell you that our activists are absolutely up for it. I can tell you that the response that we're getting is positive, That we are that we're confident and that we're fighting this to win. But we
1: don't know. So do you think actually the polls are slightly underestimating Labour's support then? Because that, oh, without
0: a doubt. Yeah. Obviously. Always, 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 always. They always underestimate our support. I mean, I suppose it's really difficult polling, isn't it, these days? Because, yeah. you know, like, um 15 years ago the phone would ring you know on the wall on your landline someone would ring up you'd speak to them you know you might you know answer a poll you'd be able to get a really good idea of what an area was thinking these days people don't have landlines they've only got mobiles who do you speak to who don't you speak to it's very much more difficult i think polling is much less reliable and of course it would be and then we see all the examples of them getting it completely wrong so we just don't know i mean honestly we don't know and, and and also, because we've got, you know, we've got the Liberals and the and the um, uh, Brexit Party, we don't know in some areas they're playing more than they would do in other areas. And there are so many local factors involved. I mean, it is, sorry to be so boring about this, but, it, you know, it's like 650 elections, you know. And and so each constituency is very different. I mean, I've, I, I speak as somebody who, when I won my seat in 2005, um the Labour Party didn't give me any resources because they said that it was gone, that there was no chance of winning it. We just did it all by ourselves. And we won it on 484. The Liberals were so sure that they'd won the seat that I went on my way to the count. The, the ticker tape on the BBC website said, um, Islington South goes Lib Dem. Yeah, really. Yeah. And, then, um, and then in 2010, because I was the most marginal seat to the Liberals and there was the Clegg Bounce, Everybody from outside of Islington were thinking that we were a goner. I mean, I will tell you, the guys running my campaign went up and down Holloway Road to find the bookies with the worst odds against me and put loads of money in. So, so, so the guy in charge of my campaign won enough money to go to watch the World Cup in South Africa on the winnings. Right? Wow. Yeah, yeah. My husband put money on and paid for the party along with all the drink and a mariachi band. Right. In 2010. Great. I mean, so the polling and the bookies, I don't really. And we, you know, and, and people come from outside and they say, oh, Emily, how are you? And I go, we're fine. And they go, oh, you're being so brave. And we'd say, go, go <laughs> out. Yeah, you know, Because we had data. We had our own. We would, you know, we were talking yeah. to people on the doorstep. So we knew that we were all right. Um, but, you know, getting an overview of all the different constituencies is very difficult. So who, what should we bet on this time? Well, we've already looked. There's only like twelve. I don't know how to do it. Is it if you give if you give if you give the bookies twelve pounds in Islington, you'll get one pound back. Okay. To fit on me winning, so I think. So you're twelve to one on most. Yeah, that's what it means. It's okay, twelve to one on yeah. So I think probably don't bother to bet on my, on my constituency this
1: time. Low risk, low, low yield. Uh, just looking finally at, uh, beyond the election. Obviously, your immediate uh, ambition is to be foreign secretary mm. on December the thirteenth. Um, or after that, if there are coalition negotiations or whatever um, in terms of a potential future leadership election, which will come at some point um, is that something you'd be interested in
0: i I shadowed Boris Johnson for two years um, when he was foreign secretary, and he was a rubbish foreign secretary for a whole series of reasons, you know being being superficial, being not paying attention sufficiently, thinking a good good turn of phrase would be enough, you know not reading his briefs, all those sorts of things but also, because he wasn't focused on being Foreign Secretary. He wasn't doing the current job well. He was spending all his time thinking about how he was going to get into number 10. I think that's a good lesson to learn. Although but, he did end up there. But, but, yes, but he was not a good Foreign Secretary. And he's not a good Prime Minister. And, and the, but he the Prime Minister, though. But the, the way to do it, yeah, but I want to be a good Foreign Secretary... I want columnist. to be I want to be a good foreign secretary. There is so much to do. You know, Britain needs to hold its head up high again and look people in the eye and actually take a a sort of leadership role in the way that I've been explaining it, I do think the the, the world misses us. And I would like to take bring Britain back. Um that's a heck of a job. That's it's what I want job. to do.
1: Um, but do you think, you know, when Rebecca Long Bailey releases a logo, do you think, Oh, I need a I need some sort of Thornbury logo, I need like a <laughs> And what would it be? What would your personal logo be? (laughs) That's a difficult question. I
0: I think it's probably not a good idea to get distracted. I think what's important is that we get a Labour government and that I get one of the, and I hope, you know, obviously that's not even guaranteed. But if Jeremy gives me the honour of giving me one of the greatest officers of state at this pivotal time for our country, that's kind of quite a lot to be focused on. It is yes, and would you be the first female foreign secretary? No, oh no, Margaret Beckett. Margaret Beckett.
1: Margaret Beckett. I, I realised as I was saying it. Yeah, yeah. Um, Emily Thornberry. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Oh no, thank you for having me. Well, there you go, Emily Thornbury. Um, I've been asking for your campaigning tales. Emily obviously had a few of her own. Do keep them coming into politicalpartypodcast at gmail.com. Um, I had one here. It said, uh, Matt, I was the Labour organiser for a few constituencies in Aberdeen in 2003. We managed to get someone to donate one of his empty shops in a pretty good city centre location. Got huge signs up. It looked great and I even had my own little office inside with a glass front so I could see out into the rest of the property and out onto the street. I was having a quiet day and halfway through a conference call with Scottish Labour HQ when I realised something was going on outside, so I started to pay attention. I saw a group of blokes laughing but wasn't concerned, given this wasn't pub chucking out time or anything next thing i see was them stepping back to reveal a naked bloke handcuffed to a lamppost outside with a rose stuck in his backside like james nesbitt in cold feet baffled i said to my colleagues on the phone ah, there's a naked bloke outside with a rose in his bum i think i would better investigate Just as I said it, I saw one of my council candidates hand a small vote Labour flag to the blokes who replaced the rose with it and started taking photos. I can't remember exactly what I said, but the words SACKED and help me may have been part of it. Turns out, yes, it was an all-day stag do, and they thought this stump would be hilarious. They were very lovely, moved along, and I kept my job. I didn't consider asking them for their photos to put on a leaflet, and I do wonder who that chap was, and if he's still happily married and votes Labour well. If you were the man who had a vote Labour flag in his jacksie in Aberdeen in 2003, get in touch, at gmail.com. I should say, this week in the live show, My guest is going to be former Conservative Minister Alan Duncan. He's standing down at this uh, election. I'm sure he will have some fascinating analysis and some stories to tell from his long and distinguished career in politics. Uh, The... Christmas special of the political parties on the 18th of December when my guest is the Mayor of London, Sadiq Khan. There's literally about five tickets left. That's at the Bloomsbury Theatre. And my tour, Brexit Pursued by a Bear, resumes in the new year. The first date of that is at the Salford Lowry on Tuesday the 14th of January. But if you go to my website mattford.com slash live, I'm coming to pretty much every town and city in the UK next year. So um, what better Christmas present for the sad political bastard in your life than two tickets or more, to see uh, Brexit pursued by a bear. Thank you so much for listening to the show. As always, please, if you can, leave an iTunes review. It really helps other people find it. Tell all your friends about it. Put it on your social media. And I'll see you tomorrow.